having that experience just let let me know that I this is what I really wanted to do more of. And I needed to find a way to do more of that because I'm not a trust fund baby. My parents aren't going to give me any money. Uh, you know, there's no other way for me to indulge in travel as much as I do now, unless I could figure out a way to create a revenue source that could cover the expenses of these travels. Hey guys, I'm Mikko Krachowski and welcome to episode number seven of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Joe Anderton, the co-founder of The Wondering, a fully remote social media agency that focuses on working with clients in the food and beverage industry. Over the last three years, Joe has helped build The Wandering into a six-figure agency all while traveling through South America. You can find Joe on Instagram at WorkSmartTravelHard, where you'll be joined by almost 30,000 other people who follow him and his docu-style photography of his travels. And in an interview, uh, Joe did not hold back, you guys. He shared a lot of the lessons he's learned in building his social media agency, in acquiring clients while on the road, and how to build a team of awesome people from all over the world. And... He also shared some of his top Instagram tips. So for those of you aspiring to grow their following, this is definitely an interview that you don't want to miss. Uh, but before we dive into the interview, I just want to take a quick second and share another awesome five-star review we received recently. And this one is from mlor 22 who says, the combination of Miko as the host, the interview lineup, and the information extracted in each episode is one of immense value. Whether you're looking for a rags to digital nomad riches, inspiration for your next destination or to familiarize yourself with what it would be like to be a digital nomad this is the show to listen to uh and thank you so much for that review mlor 22 uh i'm really glad that you are finding these interviews valuable you know that is why i started this podcast in the first place was to help people find their way around this whole location independent business thing and to launch a business that supports you know your dream lifestyle so if you're listening to this episode, please let me know what you think. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me an honest review. It really helps possible listeners decide if this show is for them. And it also helps, uh, you know, put the podcast in front of more people. So, all right, with that out of the way, I won't hold you away from diving into this awesome episode with Joe Anderton. Any further, let's get into it. Hey, Joe, uh, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for uh, taking the time to be on uh, the show. I'm super pumped to, to chat today. Yeah, the feelings are mutual. I'm really excited to talk. Thank yeah, you for well, having me. I'm, oh, absolutely. Well, so you and I, I think we met kind of in a weird way that I'd love to chat about first. I don't even know if I can say met, um, but I've <laughs> been a fan of your Instagram page for a little while. Uh, and when I started up this podcast, I was like, man, I just got to have you on. Um, so do you like, does that happen to you often or was I just kind of like this one weird guy who reached out to you? <laughs> um, you know, you're definitely not one weird guy that reached out to me. That, that wouldn't be the, the case at all. I mean, okay. um, you know, I appreciate you following me and I appreciate the kind words. I definitely get approached, uh, in a lot of messages, just kind of like telling me that they like my page and my style and what mm -hmm. I do and try to remain authentic, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't get many invites to do podcasts. I is also this a don't. first? Yes, yeah, my first podcast. Oh, man. 
Yeah, but it's definitely something that's been of interest to me. So you, when you sent me that note, it kind of hit me at the right time. Um, <laughs> I find myself not wanting to write articles, uh, not run, wanting to write how-tos or do any type of tutorial work. So I think podcasts, like doing stuff off the hip, improvising is probably mm-hmm. my forte. I do that pretty well, I think. And uh, I just kind of wanted to jump in with you because you're an interesting guy. You ask me interesting questions. I actually follow you back on Instagram and I enjoy you. some of your, your travels and some of your imagery too. So there's a mutual uh, connection there. So, I mean, I, I think we'll have a great interview because of that. And even though we haven't met each other, uh, we do know a little bit about each other. Yeah, for sure. And what's your Instagram handle just so that other people can go check it out while they're listening to this interview? Yeah, absolutely. My uh, Instagram handle is uh, work smart, travel hard. Um, and then awesome. we, have a, we have a business account, uh, The Wandering Socialites. Uh, as well and uh, I would like to plug my co-founder Jackie Cole under dash as well because everything I do is really inspired from her I wasn't much a photographer until till we met and uh, I mean now I get compliments for being one and it feels weird so <laughs> wow so you actually so you weren't a photographer until you met Jackie who is the co-founder at as you said at the Wondering Socialites which is uh, the social media company that you guys run together how, how yeah. did you to meet yeah, so it's it's kind of like a a funky story, but um, you know, when I had met Jackie the first time in, in our hometown, the um, you know, we just had a lot of fun together. We clicked instantly. We did a lot of like small little road trips, and you know, went to all the best bars and restaurants and cafes. Just had a lot of fun, and um, eventually we went our separate ways, and that meant. I went to Costa Rica with my best friend on a one-way ticket, quit my nice. job, quit quit everything. And she kind of did something similar where she just drove from Boston area to California. And um, she got a job out in San Diego and she was living out there. And I was living down in Central America, traveling through Costa Rica, Nicaragua, um, Panama, and Colombia for about seven months. And through those travels, we kept in touch, just kind of talking mm. about what we were going through, what we were working on, you know, what was happening, et cetera, et cetera. And by the time, um, you know, the seven months was up and I was going to go back to, to Boston, um, she was doing the same thing. She was going to drive back. She didn't really like it out in San Diego. Mm. So, you know, worlds kind of collided at that point. I didn't have a job. It just came off of seven months travel. Getting back, there's a lot of culture shock. There's a lot of day-to-day shock. You're like, yeah, hey, you like, Yeah, reverse went from, culture like, shock. Yeah. Yeah, exa- exactly. You just went from like living in hostels and having this like really carefree lifestyle where you're meeting people all the time and, and drinking and sleeping late and just kind mm-hmm. of really immersing yourself in culture and food and all this stuff. And it was an amazing experience. And I, I got to experience it with um, some of my close friends as well, which made it even more uh, rewarding. But when you get back, you know, you start the job hunt, you start to think about what your future looks like and you start to say, hey, I mean, this does not seem to make sense as much as it used to, even though it never really did. Um, mm, yeah. So Jackie and I kind of got together and we just hung out that summer. Um, and it was probably three months into that summer where we just kind of were talking a lot about what we were going to do and, and what we wanted out of life. And, you know, did, did we want to work a nine to five job? Did we want to just kind of let life take us or did we want to take life? Um, and, I ended up getting a job at a social media company um, in a little cube office, like, you know, slinging the phones to get sales. Um, and it was like pretty horrible. 
and she was she had she had like a job at a local place and we just were like this isn't working this is horrible uh, <laughs> we need to figure something out and one day i got a call at this place for an inbound sales opportunity and it was a woman that owned a kombucha company and she essentially was looking for someone to manage her instagram account okay. and i i asked my boss i'm like hey you know are you interested in taking on a project like this and he kind of was just like shrugged it off and said hey you know i mean we don't really have a photographer we don't have logistics for that um, and Jackie had always been a great photographer. So I just mm-hmm. kind of on my feet said, yeah, we can do something for you. <laughs> yeah, and, never um, say no to a sale. That's a very sales, uh, you know, like mindset. <laughs> exactly. So I, I said, yeah. Um, and I connected Jackie with her. You know, I didn't want to do it myself at this point mm-hmm. because I'd still worked for the other organization. And although I already offered that opportunity to them and it was a very small one. Um, Mm -hmm. and they said, no, I didn't want to be, you know, the person that was the point of contact or the person doing any of the work. So essentially I transitioned the conversation over to Jackie, let her handle it, put a proposal together and she won the business. So, you know, now Jackie is taking photos and managing a kombucha company's page. Um, this sparked some interest for both of us because we were like, Hey, I mean, if we can get one brand to pay us X amount per month, to manage their page and do photography, then I'm sure we could do two or three or four brands. Mm. Um, so thing I left out was that, you know, I lived in this industry of, uh, food and beverage. I used to be a broker for, um, AJ Letizio, which is a brokerage up in New Hampshire. And I used to work with a lot of snack food brands. Um, most notably skinny pop, which was just like this the popcorn, uh, right? The popcorn brand. Right. Yeah. And it's okay. exploded. I mean, yeah. since I, I jumped on, I mean, it's, it's a huge company now. It's one of the most popular snack food companies. My in the girlfriend States. loves it. So I know it pretty well. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, did you, you know, did, so did you like help to like blow up the company or like what was your part in the company? I didn't help to blow up the company. I don't want to like say that yeah. I did that. My boss, my boss did. I mean, okay. he was, like he sold the first bag to distributors. He really opened up distribution and the network for them. And I was his right hand man. Like I was his assistant essentially. I did everything for him. So I watched wow. the process more from afar. And although I sold product and I was a part of the process, I can't take credit for the actuality of what took place because, you know, he was really leading the charge. And the brand team on there and the owners were fantastic as well. And obviously, you need that type of chemistry to make a brand work. For sure. Um, what were, you know, I, I feel like we got to dive into this because that is such an important, like, like kind of thing to happen for you. Is to For you to get a behind-the-scenes look, you know, you running your own company now and getting a behind-the-scenes look on how to grow a brand like Skinny Pop and to kind of like grow it into what it is now, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from that experience? Yeah, I think some of the lessons uh, that I learned were, it's hard maybe for random people to comp- comprehend because they're, they're like, little small minute details that really add up to what makes a good brand but Mm. um you know one of the challenges that most brands go into um the industry with is that they think they can do it on their own they think they they can create a product out of their kitchen and and scale it up they don't understand the fees that are involved you have slotting fees to get just you have distribution fees um you need to have a product that works a product that gets on the shelf, which is one aspect of the, the, this industry, and then getting it to be purchased, taken off the shelf, put it in a shopping cart, and go into the front of the store. I mean, 
that is a multifaceted process and right. you need to have good marketing efforts in store. Like you go into store, you see things that are on sale, two for five, two for six, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you see demos happening in store, but then there's also the social media and marketing aspect of things. You have commercials on TV, television, you have YouTube advertising, you have Facebook advertising, you have mm-hmm. social media advertising, and then you have social media accounts and, uh, you know, static posts and video posts. So, a brand from start to finish needs a financing, right? You need money to get in the door, be a viable product. You need to be able to move on your feet, to change things as necessary, to introduce new flavors. You need a production facility that can fulfill big orders because if a big retailer like Walmart or Target approaches you, they're going to want you to, they're going to want to buy hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of product. Mm -hmm. And you have to front the, the capital in order to create that product to get on store in store. Most people that start their own brands miss that aspect. So, you know, working with the company I did and working with these brands, you're able to see uh, as a broker 20 brands at a time. And out of those 20, maybe one is a winner, right? You Mm -hmm. have 20 brands. They're all trying to do the same thing. And one brand like Skinny Pop is going to win. The other 19 are probably going to either not win or not grow, right? They could keep a local uh, distribution channel and some local cult following to keep their sales up and maybe employ a couple people. But if you really want to scale your brand and be world recognized or nationally recognized, you need to understand all the the pieces that go into that. So I was able to view these smaller brands that didn't have the budget, that weren't willing to take the risks, that didn't want to innovate, that didn't want to invest on social. And then I was able to encounter some brands that were, were willing to invest and put all of their earnings back on the table, reinvest in their brand, pay for slotting, pay for promotions in store, start social media channels, and you really get to see all the makings of what makes a good brand in the food and beverage industry. Um, and we were able to, to take that um, information that I had learned and translate it into something that we could create uh, for brands on social. And then Jackie brought in this expertise of, um, un- she understood brands, but she also understood photography for brands mm-hmm. and how to curate pages and how to curate messaging Um, and how to relate to millennial consumers because at the end of the day, social media marketing is meant to um, corral and create brand loyalty within millennial users that haven't quite picked their brand and brands that they're going to consume on a weekly basis. Sure. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. That's that's such a like a very good way for you to learn is um, kind of see what's working for everybody else. And compare that to what you're observing from people who are not making it and kind of say, like, hmm, what is this first group doing differently than the rest? Um, before we jump into kind of talking more about, you know, what you brought over from that and have now, you know, started using within the company, within your company, I really feel like we'd be doing listeners a disservice if we don't jump into your travel experience because I had no idea that you had done this crazy trip for seven months like you're talking about because I'm super jealous because that's something that I've always wanted to do like what made you want to do that in the first place and what were you doing as a job before that yeah so I I was a broker at said brokerage uh, before that and they treated me super well I have nothing but so much fondness for all the guys there. They trained mm-hmm. me. They did a lot of work uh, for me, and I did a lot of work for them. And I think we are st- all still on great terms. Like I still have constant communication with 
many of the people I've worked with, including the owner of the company. Um, the, the reason I left had nothing to do with my position, which is, which is great. And I've learned that that it was the truth to this day. Um, you know, I probably couldn't have asked for a better job than I had at that time. As far as they were flexible, I had a company car, um, they took care of me in so many ways. I had budget to do some traveling. I was in New York. I was in, um, Chicago. I was, I mean, I was bouncing around and doing things all the time. My day to day was not super routine. You know, we had Mm -hmm. some routine, but most of the time it was, you know, I was at retailers. I was at corporate locations. I was on site. I was at, uh, in sales meetings, et cetera. Um, the issue I had was definitely philosophical. Um, Mm. I just thought, that a there was more to life uh than just working getting up every day uh and putting in your time and b i wanted to travel i really i had taken a couple trips to europe uh and to peru and i i'd just known that i'm in my 20s now it's not gonna get easier i need to do this now and i've always been a person that had like but just for lack of better words, big balls. Like I, <laughs> I'm, I am a risk taker and I always have been like, it's just in my nature. Like I'm not afraid to go broke. I'm not afraid. Like I'll, you know, I just will take risks because I, I, the reward is, is, is enough and I don't have children. I don't have anything over my head to like, it's only affecting me essentially. So sure. at that time I just had discussed a lot with my best friend, Arion at the time I said he had just come off a really hard relationship he was a welder, um, very good one. He was making a good salary as well. And, uh, we had some savings and we just said like, let's just do this, right? Like this is life. Like life only is going to be as good as we make it. And we can spend 20 more years working our jobs and retire. And I don't know what that looks like, but it doesn't sound great. So Mm -hmm. we made a pact. We booked tickets about three months in advance. Um, we had a, a, like some rough business ideas. Maybe we could make something work, like a blog and some exportation stuff, but nothing panned out. And uh, we just we just we left. I mean, I gave my notice. It was a shock to everybody. He gave his notice. It was a shock to everybody. Um, and we took off. But it was a philosophical void that we weren't doing something that meant anything to us. There was yeah. something mis- There was something seriously missing, and we had a. Uh, take an exploration to see what that was. For sure. Yeah. I think something that you said that was really important that I felt myself and I I talk about, you know, people who want to travel a lot is that you set a date and you booked a flight and then, you know, you said you booked it three months in advance and then that gives you like a due date, right? Because I, Mm. I see a lot of people who, you know, like they, they see what I'm doing or they hear about what I'm doing that I'm traveling around and working and they're like, man, like I really want to do what you do or whatever. And I'm like, okay, book the flight. You know, because then the moment that you book that flight, it becomes really real, real quick. And, you know, you booked it out three months in advance. And in those three months, you got to figure out, all right, what am I doing? What's the plan? Right. Um, because if you hadn't booked that flight, uh, who knows? Like you might still be pushing that date. So that's super important. Um, now, where did you where did you go when you, when you left? You said you and you also said that you had savings. Do you mind me asking how much you had in savings before you left? I think we had like a threshold of like what we were willing to spend and it was like around uh 10k each. Okay. So we we're for like okay, trip. this yeah, for the whole trip. It's like we got this, we're going to make this work. Um and our first destination was San Jose, Costa Rica. Um 
and we we literally like rented an apartment off of I think it was Craigslist in this place called Gracia, which we had never heard of, and it was about thirty five minutes from the the capital. Um, it's a small town, and we we had our apartment like up in the hill. It was like a three hour walk from the city city the little city center to our mm-hmm. place. So we had to take a bus every day to get back and forth, and it took about an hour. Um, so we started to regret like some of the decisions we made, but it was also a really cool, authentic experience right from the jump. Like we were just smack dab in the middle of Costa Rica. Uh, no tourists around. I don't think many tourists go to Gracia ever, especially not where we were living. And, um, you know, we just were immersed immediately into this culture. Um, and we stayed there for three months in, wow. in Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, before we left for Nicaragua. Panama and Colombia. And, um, at that point, a couple of our other friends had showed up, uh, Shane and Doug, and we had then started to do more backpacking. Like we got out of the apartment and we started to do, uh, jumping hostel to hostel and going to more touristic places and meeting people. But the first couple months were really just about us. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we needed to unplug from what we had already been doing. We needed some time to think, uh, we needed some time to just kind of relax and, and unwind and, it really, I think, gave us a ton of perspective um, on our lives and in the direction we wanted to go in. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I um, There's a documentary that I really, really love, and I've seen it probably like 100 times, called 180 Degrees South. You ever heard about it? I haven't, but I, I'd love to check it out. Oh, man, you have to check it out. It's basically about this guy who works for Patagonia, and the whole thing is kind of funded by Patagonia as a company. But mm-hmm. they take a trip trying to recreate uh, Yvonne Chouinard's trip down to Patagonia in like the 60s or 70s or, or whatever it was. And it's basically exactly what you're talking about is this feeling of the guy who basically the documentary follows is just feels like, you know, like he can see the rest of his life unfolding in front of him. And he just knows that he needs to to correct some or to kind of like almost like change paths because – he can see where he's going, you know, and he decides to take this trip. And it's and it's really interesting. And, I mean, I feel that as well because, I mean, you say that you have, you know, kind of, you know, you're not afraid to take risks and stuff. And I feel that too. I mean, I had, you know, I dropped out of college because I kind of saw the path that was unfolding ahead of me. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. So I definitely, you know, un- understand what you're feeling. Now, how did that trip affect what you do now? Like, what did you take from it? And, and how did that affect, you know, you building the company and how you've set up the company now? That's a great question. So, I mean, one of the main things that opened my eyes up to is how inexpensively you could live abroad. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, opened up the door to say myself and my friend or myself and eventually Jackie could live off of X amount of dollars per month, meaning that I need to create a revenue source of X to make that happen. And it was a very realistic number, right? So that was number one. And then number two was that, you know, having that experience just let, let me know that I, this is what I really wanted to do more of. Mm -hmm. And I needed to find a way to do more of that because I'm not a trust fund baby. My parents aren't going to give me any money. Uh, You know, there's no other way for me to indulge in travel as much as I do now, unless I could figure out a way to create a revenue source that could cover the expenses of these travels. So mm-hmm. what it did was say, okay, Central America is not that dangerous as people make it out to be. Traveling full-time is super doable. It's super affordable. And working from the, from the road is, is also doable. And I had seen people while I travel that were working on the road. I 
I'm obsessed with Tim Ferriss, James Altucher. Uh, they're two guys that like have influenced my life a, a ton. And when I was traveling, I was reading their books. And I mean, everything that they say just starts to make more sense because, you know, as a person, if you just sit in your hometown and go to work every day, you don't exposed to anything else. Mm-hmm. You're just gonna, you're only as good as what you're exposed to. So, you know, I encourage people to read way more than they, they currently do and have more experiences and meet more individuals, listen to podcasts, et cetera. Because, you know, when you're just doing the day to day, it's very easy to miss out on all these opportunities that are at your fingertips and it can sure. feel overwhelming at times. So traveling just kind of opened up the door to say running a business nomadically is very doable. Now, back then, I never thought that I'd ever run a business this size from the road. I think it still mm-hmm. to this day baffles me and boggles my mind because the business just keeps growing and you know, our stability doesn't really grow, doesn't really change, right? We're still going month to month to different places and doing all this crazy stuff while operating a business and I just don't understand how <laughs> Jackie and I have been able to do that. That's pretty much the the invariable there. Well, hopefully we can, you know, unpack some of like how you guys have been able to figure it out so that other people can do it too, but I'm super curious about what was that first threshold that you talked about, that first milestone? You know, what was the amount of money that you guys needed that you felt like to, you know, to support yourselves and how did you get to that milestone? Like, what were the steps that you took to get the clients to get you to that point? Yeah, it's another great question. So, um, after the kombucha company had made terms with Jackie, um, Mm -hmm we kind of just sat down in in her apartment and brainstormed a name for our company uh, and a direction for our company. And, um, you know, Jackie came up with the wandering socialites. Um, It was kind of a play on a Audrey Hepburn movie, but it kind of made more sense because, you know, the word socialite and social media Mm -hmm. um, connect. And we wanted to always from the get, from the jump of this business, we wanted to operate it nomadically um, in some sort of sense. I wanted to be somewhat of a lifestyle business um, and some of that new age progressive ideology. Sure. We wanted to also bring the products that we took photos for and managed with us on the road. Um, so that was like another t- topic that kind of blew people away. Like you, you're going to travel the world with a bunch of snacks and beverages. And we're like, hell yeah, of course we are. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we figured the wandering socialites just made a ton of sense. So Jackie mm-hmm. made a Facebook page and then eventually we started the process of, um, we bought a domain and we purchased Squarespace and we built our own website. Um, we just did it really, really cheap. I mean, none of us had much experience, but it was a plug and play system and it, and it looked pretty good. And mm-hmm. we kept, we kept improving on it and improving on it as we went. Um, so then it gets us to that point. We need clients. We need clients. How are we going to get them? So coming from the food industry, I had known something called trade shows, which are just essentially a place where all of these CPGs, so consumer product goods, uh, brands get together and buyers from different retailers walk the show and they check out the products, they taste them, they talk to the, the founders or the reps and, you know, they get more information and potentially could make an order. Um, mm-hmm. So I had connections to attend these shows. So we signed up for these shows under the Wandering Socialites as a media agency that does food and bev uh, marketing. And we paid our dues and we showed up and we just walked around the show and went booth to booth and just started talking to each of the brands that we were interested in, we try always to work with brands that we support and and like, not just anybody who will throw us money and be our client. 
So we carefully made a, a list and we offered them a trial, a free trial. Um, we were going to go to Colombia and Mexico. We were going to take their products with us and we were going to take photography, uh, photos of their products all around the world uh, in our travels. And we're going to present the deliverables to them after the fact. And um, if they liked them, they could purchase them. And if they liked what we did, then we could do a continuation that would be paid. So Jackie and I funded our own 10-day trip down to Colombia in Mexico. Um, we took, we got three brands to commit to the trial, as well as the, the kombucha company that we already mm-hmm. had on retainer. Um, and we took photos of them. We just kind of like went around, found colorful walls, just a bunch of product shots, right? And mm-hmm. then we, we came back and we sent the brands that we had done the trial with the photos. And some of the brands purchased the photos. And one of the brands said, what would it look like if to continue this program from a cost perspective and manage our social media uh, channels? Nice. So I drafted up a proposal and then they said yes. And we had client number two. So uh, we parlayed that that next one by going to a bigger trade show in New York City and mm-hmm. doing the same thing. And we just went crazy for three days straight talking to everybody there. And when we left there, we ended up getting, I think it was three more clients that gave us five clients. And I think it was about 2000 of monthly revenue. Which per client? We paid. No, no, no. This okay. is total. This is very low lying, like simple stuff. And we were very, very cheap just to get the clients and the experience because yeah, hey, sure. build well, that relationship. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had been the starting point for us to um, start to really consider the opportunity of traveling on a budget and managing the slow, small clientele while we grew a bit more. Um, right. So that's, what, that's how we got our, our start. Is that how you guys still get a lot of your clients? Like any new clients that come in, do you still get them from trade shows or have you figured out a way to bring in clients while you know not having to come back home to the US? Yeah, so now we get all of our clients um, digitally. We've used our website and our Instagram handles to really show legitimacy and command of the of the network and our mm-hmm. um, and our ability to create uh, imagery that gets great engagement and to grow accounts uh, and grow brand accounts that aren't ours as well on a consistent basis. And um, most of our sales now are are inbound inquiries. It makes me smile because like I don't do sales anymore. Um, oh, that's a good feeling. People reach out to us and say, "Hey, you know, so and so recommended you," or someone might leave a company and go to another one and, and reach out to us and say, "Hey, we want to start up with this person." And we've just built so much legitimacy over the last three years that, um, you know, we don't really need to sell ourselves so much. Um, the work speaks for itself, and we have so many referrals. Our clients will do anything for us, and that's because we'll do anything for them. And we really take these brands on as our own, um, and that's been the been the difference maker. Wow. Now, how many clients do you guys have currently? We currently have uh, around 15 clients wow. total. Yeah. Awesome. And, that and mu- mu- much cool. of them are major brands in the United States now. So you can imagine that gap between year one and year three where you're working with small, small brands with no budget to now having some major brands in the States. Um, it's, it's an amazing feeling. For sure, yeah. Now, how many? Because um, you are running a team, so it's not just you and Jack anymore, correct? Correct. 
So how many, tell me a little bit about that. How many people do you guys have? Um, and you know, how is it, what's different from when it was just you and Jackie to now? Yeah, absolutely. So we have, we have four people that work in a full-time capacity now, including myself and Jackie. We have, um, Aiden, who's our in-house designer. Uh, he lives in New York city in Brooklyn. And, uh, we have Mel, who's our admin person, uh, in Boston back home. Um, and then we have, uh, six freelancers that work for us, uh, across the country, uh, in multiple States, Texas, Oregon, Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. And, um, those freelancers of ours are really heavily focused on content creation, um, okay. brand, brand photography. And, um, you know, Jackie and I still manage the majority of, uh, account management management. Uh, we'd still do the majority of client relationships and Jackie really is like our creative, uh, anchor. She keeps everything in place. She manages the relationship with other photographers. She's creating the calendars for all these brands. She's creating the grids so that the feed design looks good on Instagram. Right. Um, I'm doing the media buying, etc. And Aiden does a little bit of everything, but his, his specialty is, is design. Like I would not be surprised if he is a design prodigy, sure. um, going forward. And, um, then Mel really just handles all of our administrative stuff because it's just grown too big for me to do on my own. Sure. Now, how so when you say that you guys have photographers throughout the country, I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, that what you do is, let's say you have a product that needs to have like some photography done, you you essentially ship that to that photographer, and then they kind of, you know, knowing what your, uh, you know, creative focus is and how you guys like to have your pictures look, they, they produce that photography. Is that correct? Yeah, and Jackie will put together a mood board and suggestions mm-hmm. for what we're looking for. So it might be, hey, we need to put together a – I'll give you a good example. So we have a guy up in, up in Oregon, Jason. He's a great photographer when it comes to shooting with models and doing lifestyle shoots. So we have – everyone's got their specialty. we got the nature person. Mm-hmm. we got the, the model person. And he will go out, recruit um, a couple to get together to do a photo shoot. Then we'll send him a bunch of products. And Jackie will give him a mood board to kind of give him direction of mm-hmm. what we want the photo edit to look like, what we want the styling of the picture to look like, what's the age demographic we want to target, what's going to resonate most for this brand. So it's, it's a very complex – if you want to do things right, it's a complex for sure. structure because each brand is so different from each mm-hmm. other. They have a different user that, that purchases their product and a different customer. And the overall brand vision – and the communication in which we go forward with that brand is very imperative to the success of their their marketing on on digital. So mm-hmm. everything has got to be tailor made to the brand, and that's why having this remote team that's all around the country that all has their specialty specialty, and letting them be free, you know not full time employees of us, so they can take on other creative projects. Like Jason will work for magazines. He'll travel to New York City. He'll do editorials. He's right. a successful photographer on his own, but he's also working for us. So we're giving them that flexibility that personally we were lacking when we had jobs of our own because we would mm-hmm. spend 40 hours a week there. But how much were you producing? How many hours a day were you actually doing something productive? So right. we've really found that this remote, independent contractor, long-term relationship um, style has given these individuals, these creative individuals, the leeway to work on their own projects to work for us in a high capacity and to get paid, to get to be able to pay the bills, but also to have that that freedom 
within life and work. So they're not, you know, they don't have to get up at seven in the morning. I don't care what time you take the photo shoot. Just make sure the light looks good. You know, that type of mentality is, I think really resonates with millennials. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's, um, it's something that I, you know, a lot of people that I talk to who identify as creatives definitely mention as a problem, you know, is that, um, you know, a lot of them want to have the comfort of having a paycheck, but they just hate being in the office or hate having that, uh, regimented nine to five day every day. You know, they want to have the freedom to work on their own projects because they are creatives. Um, and so having a freelance situation or, or deal with a brand like yours or a company like yours is, you know, super helpful to that sort of person. Now, as you were one of the, I feel like one of the difficult things for remote companies is, is growing. What were some of the struggles that you experienced when you were growing the team? And, you know, what were the solutions that you found for those? Absolutely. So I think we had a ton of growth um, in the summer of 2017, I think, last mm-hmm. year. We really we kind of bridged that gap between being a small agency to being a medium-sized agency. Mm-hmm. And a part of those struggles were growing the team because we had put some photographers on retainers and we had um, tried to employ individuals that just weren't pulling their weight. I mean, it was probably because they we didn't have a big enough budget to pay them adequately. They didn't have the experience. So we had gone through a lot of individuals that we wanted to work for us and help us scale our company that just weren't the right fit. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that, those growing pains were, were killing us. And I, I, would, I would reach out to you know, one of my mentors who's a business owner, Momtaz, and I'd say, how do you find good employees? Like, I just can't figure it out. How do you find people right. that work well? And he kind of just laughed. Like, he's got a really good way about him. He's like, you'll figure it out. Like, it just <laughs> comes with time. You know, you need to figure out what kind of person it is that works well with you. So, um, you know, Jack and I took a lot on and did a lot by ourselves. Like, we really took on two full-time jobs at some point just so we could get those bigger clients in the door knowing that we really didn't have the support system behind us to 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 do it without putting in the hours like we had to mm-hmm. put in the work at first but we eventually um started to get better relationships with our freelancers to the point where we could trust them to take on projects and execute them in a timely manner and do them well. And as we started to grow that network, we got to take certain things off of our plate, move them over to our, our team members. And remember, we're doing this all digitally from across the world. So it's, it's not like I can just meet them at the coffee shop sure. and explain everything to them face to face or build that relationship. It was all done on the phone and it was all done in a very distant way. So we, we really leaned on Instagram as a place to recruit new photographers and and people that we could work with because you could really get an idea. I mean, Instagram has become like a resume for people, right? Mm -hmm, Like you go to their page and if you, if you can curate a good page and write a good concise caption and, and get engagement, then you're probably good enough of a person to take on projects that are complex and get them done well in a timely fashion. So we started to lean on Instagram. Um, we had always known Aiden, but we couldn't afford him, you know, at that point. So we were really just waiting to get him on and, and eventually, you know, he had said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a freelancer and I, I, you know, if you guys have anything for me, you know, let me know. And Jack and I just said, we need to get this guy to be <laughs> working with us because we need to build this team. And then Mel came on and, 
it all just kind of snowballed. It took a long time to get where we're at now, but we essentially had to take on clients and projects that we probably like a normal person wouldn't be able to take on. Mm -hmm. You have to be a certain type of person to dedicate seven days a week, 10 hours a day to handle these clients and do a great job. But we just said it will be worth it. And again, we kind of had faith that, you know, we can make this work and, um, you know, it did. So I, I guess a lot of that is trying to understand that scaling a company is never going to be easy if you want to do it the right way. We're self-funded, so we didn't have dollars in the bank right. that could be allocated to people. Um, learning to give your own money to someone else to work for you, that's a tough, that's a tough bridge to get to <laughs> right, because right. you're like, this is my money. I mean, I'm just going to give, I'm going to give, you know, my employees money that's out of my pocket just because I want to have this chance to, to grow my business. I mean, those are fundamental, uh, blocks you have to get over as an individual, because I don't know how, what your background is, but you know, when you don't come from money, when you don't come from a business oriented family, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you get your paycheck every week and that's yours, you pay your bills. So you really have to get over the, uh, the concept and ideology of money in money out, um, empowering others to do work, even if it takes months before they do good work, um, investing in individuals, investing in yourself, et cetera. It's a long process and it's really difficult to explain. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I came from, I was born in Eastern Europe, so I definitely understand, you know, like understanding how money works and kind of like, it's difficult to give money away and that kind of stuff. But the good thing is that my dad has always been an entrepreneur. So uh, I kind of grew up with a dad who was always working on different projects and always like, you know, having some business schemes and whatnot. So I, I, I kind of knew early on that I might have a little bit of that. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> how, um, do you mind me asking exactly, you know, like what is the revenue of the company currently? I know that you said when you, when you started out, it was, you know, 2000 or so, what is it at now? How much have you guys been able to grow it? Yeah, it, fluctu- it fluctuates, sure. uh, you know, month to month, of course. But, um, you know, we've grown the business about, you know, give or take 15 to 20 times the size wow. that it was when we first started. So that can give you a good idea of, right. of uh, you know, our monthly revenues. Um, and so you can officially put on your Instagram handle, you know, uh, six digit company, you know, owner or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely. <laughs> and it keeps growing. You know, it's a it's month over month growth for the last I don't know, 36 months, probably. I mean, every month we've had new clients. Um, we've had very low turnover rates, never for performance reasons, mostly for the company just can't afford it mm-hmm. or the company's not doing well itself, uh, small sure. companies. But, you know, we don't have a real turnover rate. We just keep adding clients and keep growing. And we've done it slow and steady. I mean, that's the only way you can do it self-funded. I'm sure there's plenty of people that might listen to this and say, "Oh, this kid should be getting investors right now and scaling the thing." But then the quality of work would suffer, and it's not what we want. It's not the kind of people we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not trying to become on. We're not trying to get on the Forbes list. We're just trying to run uh, a business that really relates to who we are as people, and that empowers our talents to show and shine through without having to have a boss telling us what to do or a group of investors telling us what to do because. As you know, someone who likes to be a digital nomad likes his uh, fair share of freedom. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. How have, how are you guys um structuring all of the the tasks internally? Do you have like um like a project management system that you use or or do you guys just use Instagram and in email? How how do you guys have that set up? I mean, we definitely use a lot of email and a whole lot of text. I mean, okay. I think like a young company you know, like companies I worked for in the past, if if you did everything by text, they would be like, you can't be kidding. You got to be kidding me. You can't do yeah. that. Like you need everything to be logged in, in CRM and, and you need to have an email system put in place. But we work a bit differently. We, we definitely lean on some of the new age apps. I mean, we use Dropbox like crazy. I mean, all mm-hmm. the brands are organized in Dropbox. Everyone has their own folders. You know, they have the, the documents are set, set there. Why Dropbox? The assets. Why Dropbox instead of Google Drive, for example, or something like that? Like, what was your thinking there? I don't think that we we picked one or the other. We use mm-hmm. both. We use Google okay. Forms. We use Google Drive. I mean, we use both Dropbox and Google uh, in many ways. I we don't gotcha. like we don't like photography in the way Google set up. So we really mm-hmm. lean on Dropbox to be the place where photography sits um it's a it's a bit better of a system in our better layout yeah better layout easier to download stuff easier to organize stuff but then again you know google is a great place to house living documents that we share internally uh such as excel sheets right because Mm -hmm. it's much easier to just go in manipulate it in real time same with our presentations we are able to upload those into google drive and then all three of us can edit at the same time in real time and see things happening all at once. We, we really like that uh, aspect as well. Um, and then we have some other apps that we use um, to keep things organized, like Unum and um, for like grids and things of yeah. that nature. That's a great one. My um, girlfriend just showed me that one. She's been using it like crazy. And I was like, man, these your, your pictures are looking really good. So I actually just found out about Unum like, I don't know, like, weeks ago or something (laughs) really yeah Yeah. we've been using it for a couple years now and uh it's just a great way to like put your grid together and lay everything out yeah exactly so what we do is we have a grid and then we have a you know a google calendar that's shared with our clients and all internal people so that we can see um you know what's going to be what's going to go where so every month we have Mm -hmm. calendars for our brands that's that spell out the social media holidays the relevant uh, national holidays that, you know, when the giveaways are going to be happening, when the promotional activity, new flavor releases, everything's all put out there on, on Google drive. And you got to, you know, what a tool that is because as a, as a remote team, everybody can access that in real time together. Um, then we use a lot of Skype stuff for Skype for business to do phone calls abroad make sure that we have good connection all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we really lean on all, <laughs> apps to to keep things going but we don't operate like a traditional organization and i think that gives us the ability to do things faster uh and more effective than other larger agencies that have to go by protocols and have to go by uh procedurals so you purposefully don't build out like procedures within the company it's not that we don't have procedures in the company like we have certain procedures for important events such as social media crises, right? Like mm. say there was a recall in the food industry and it was something very significant or we have processes and procedurals for important things that, that occur within the company. But as far as like how we communicate, if, if one of my freelancers wants to start a group, a group text so he can send photos back and forth, like I'm not going to hold that against him. He doesn't have to submit 
a certain way on a certain day, you know, in order for me to accept the, the photography. If he wants to text me at 11 o'clock at night and ask me a question, he's free to do that. And I think that mm-hmm. that's something that's not always accepted in, you know, regular day-to-day businesses because, you know, it's just kind of like you check in at nine, you check out at right. five and, and uh, outside of those hours that can't happen. But, and also informal relationships within the company are sometimes frowned upon, right? Like, you know, having text message conversations and email conversations is not something that people want. But I think an informal nature with a professional attitude is the best way for a small team to operate. And now if I was yeah. scaling the business, I'd have a whole different perspective. Believe me, it would not be the same. Yeah. And especially, you know, working remotely and uh, those sort of um, around the water cooler experiences that you would get, you know, at like a normal office job, you need to create that sort of community somehow uh, in a remote setting. And so uh, like in some of the companies that I've worked in, you know, we've set up, you know, specific like Slack channels that are like, hey, this is for like shooting the shit on Saturday Mm -hmm. about who's doing what, you know, just so that you can kind of understand that the people on the other side of Slack are, you know, your actual real people that you can build relationships with. Um, mm-hmm. how did you, you know, you say that you, you've made it okay for people to send you messages, you know, at 11 o'clock or something like that. How do you balance sort of work and life? You know, how do you, is that something that you struggle with or do you, or like, do you create like borders or do you just kind of, does it all kind of mesh together for you? I wish there was an easier answer to that question because mm-hmm. there's not, I mean, our work-life balance is definitely skewed in a work-first, life-second um, mm-hmm. way. I mean, that being said, there really is no divide in the first few years of starting your own company yeah. uh, between work and life, I don't think. Maybe that's just my opinion from what I've read and, and people I've talked to, but um, – we do have designated days that we just like say today is not a work day, right? So sure. Saturdays, we try to, con- to try to make those days not work days. We try to not schedule posts on Saturdays. Um, we just kind of like give ourselves at least one day a week because it's healthy for us. Um, you know, because we're all over the place with time zones, as you know, I'm sure you've experienced that. <laughs> it's hard to have like a real solid schedule. I can't say I'm like, I'm not Tom Brady. I don't go to bed at 8 p.m. every right. night and wake and wake up at 4 4 4 a.m. to to do what I need to do. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm working till two in the morning or three in the morning and and sleeping till 11 a.m. And, and other yeah. times, I mean, I'm I'm work. I get off at work at 3 p.m. and I have the whole day to myself. It really comes down to hitting deadlines and managing uh, workflow and 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 just kind of going with the ebb and flow of business because sometimes we are much busier than we than other times. So sure. we try to take advantage of, of those gaps and those windows when we can. And I think part of our future goals um, is to create a bit more stability uh, in our life, meaning maybe that means getting a home base that we can go mm-hmm. back to, that we can store stuff at, we can create a photo studio there, et cetera. And then secondarily to that, um, taking our va- paid vacation, right? Taking a, a week off. It sounds crazy because I'm a, we're digital nomads. Like, hey, I'm gonna be I'm on vacation this week, right. so I'm not working. But I think a part of the long term plan is to do things that we want to do that we miss out on. Because like right now, I can't go to Cuba, right? Why? Mm-hmm. Because Wi-Fi is really poor. I can't get on the phone. I can't manage my business. But 
maybe I take a five day trip to Cuba and really turn off and give some of my responsibilities off to Mel and Aiden and have Jackie give her responsibilities off, um, to our freelance, um, team. So that way we can take a couple days off for ourselves and enjoy travel. Like, you know, I did when I left and had no job. So I think it's a work in progress. It's a difficult life. It's not easy. It's not for everybody. And we definitely have, um, our times where we're very stressed out and feel like we don't have much of our own lives and that you right. know, our lives really revolve around our clients. Yeah. You know, having talked to, I mean, even before now that I'm now that I run this podcast, I get to talk to entrepreneurs um, who run remote companies, you know, every week. But even before that, when I was talking to people who do what we do, um, you know, it, it feels like there's certain stages that, you know, they can kind of fit in like, four or five different stages the businesses can and it feels like you're right in that part where there's like a really big divide where it's like you kind of can't turn off right because people need answers and you know you you know things go wrong and uh, things aren't completely set up for for the company to function without you and there's this sort of jump that happens that i've noticed with companies that that are a little bit maybe further ahead than where you guys are at where they do. They are able to kind of take that, uh, you know, week long vacation, two week long vacation. Uh, and I know that's something that a lot of people, you know, shoot for uh, in your position. So I, I, I totally understand that. Um, now I feel like I wouldn't be doing the listeners justice uh, with this interview if I don't ask you for some of your top Instagram tips. Uh, I know that I'm super pumped to hear what you have to say, but. I really want to get started first with um, kind of like what are your three, you know, maybe they don't have to be three, but what are your tips for, you know, taking a really good picture? Okay, cool. So that's a difficult question. It's kind of loaded. So um, when I first started Instagram, I cared very much so about engagement and followers and likes and things of that nature, because I didn't know like what direction my life was going to take. And, um, you know, there's two ways to do Instagram. This is mm-hmm. what I'm doing right now, I think is the wrong way to do Instagram. So mm-hmm. meaning like I take photos that mean a lot to me that do not get good engagement that are not very relevant, but they're things that matter to me. And I don't really care so much about engagement, but if I'm, if I was going to give advice to somebody that was starting off as an Instagrammer, the first thing I would say is to, is to pick a niche, right? Like yeah. that is so super important. And the more defined that niche is, the better. Um, so maybe it's street photography, maybe it's facades, maybe it's cars, maybe it's um, cafes and lifestyle. Maybe it's you want to be like Jack Morris and Gypsy Seelust and do these epic dreamy scenes on the beach and, uh, and Bali uh, at a villa. I mean – Right. No matter what your interest is, there's an audience for it. The more mm-hmm. defined it is from the beginning, the higher your likelihood of success will be, right? So right. my when you're taking a photo, you got to think of like, you know, there's what I like, there's the type of imagery I want to create, and then there's the type of imagery that's very relevant right now, right? So like for me, I'm looking – if I was looking to get really good engagement, I would be first – checking out of what the things I'm interested in, what hashtags are very popular right now. Like for Mm -hmm. me, I like to take pictures of cars. So like a Sunday car pick is one that's really great. So I can use that. So I'm like looking at 
what am I going to take a picture? What's going to be my subject? Well, it's going to be a classic car. I'm going to post it on Sunday. I'm going to use this hashtag. Or another one's accidentally Wes Anderson, right? Like you have, you're trying to take an image that That's fits awesome a hashtag. hashtag. Yeah. That has, yeah, exactly. That has relevancy that matches what people want to see so that you can get further exposure through your hashtags. Mm. That is just the beginning like strategy ideology. But when you're taking the image, you know, you have to take into consideration the, the square format of Instagram, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people might overlook that, but your picture needs to fit in the square and look really good. It's going to affect your, your feed design. So you're going to, you want to give that some ideology. You want to shoot vertically. It makes more sense to shoot vertically rather than horizontal. Um, that can, is going to give you an advantage all the time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you're taking imagery, you really want to look at composition. You want to, you want to see, um, that the image that you're, t- that the, what you're taking a picture of has a subject, has good composition, and then has relevancy. Like with Instagram, you know, images with higher color and, um, things that fit those hashtag strategies have way more relevancy than just like taking a quick snap on your phone of something random without a subject, without good composition. And then post post processing, I think is one of the most important aspects of being successful on Instagram. How do you edit your photo? What applications are you using to edit your photo? Um, what type of Photoshop tricks are people using to get this like epic scenes and to get this crazy engagement? Cause most of the imagery people see out there isn't really what it seems. I mean, right. people nowadays do a lot of before and afters and it's kind of embarrassing at times. Yeah. I feel like that first picture is just not even the same picture as the, <laughs> your post edit. So, um, you know, people have ob- obviously started selling their presets and a lot of mm-hmm. inspiring Instagrammers are buying those presets. These are all things that I've now don't, don't even focus on um, mm. personally, but you know, those are really the, the tips that I would give to individuals is find what you love to take image, images of, research your hashtags, find relevancy in what you're posting. People need to want to see and hear what you're talking about or, you know, you're not going to be a popular person uh, and your imagery is not going to get a lot of hits. But, um, you know, really keying in on what it is you want to photograph, how it's relevant, how it ties into a, a hashtag strategy, and then, you know, essentially improving your imagery in all aspects all the time and improving your your editing strategy and then testing right like see what works see look Mm. at your feed look at what's performing do more of that etc um unfortunately i'm just at a point now where the algorithm is really changed and um they're not really rewarding good work or deep work or good captions it's a lot about copycatting the best of the best and doing the same thing over and over again. And Mm -hmm. I think Instagram is becoming more and more mainstream. And because of that, the content people are consuming is becoming more, more mainstream. So it is becoming a bit more difficult to go outside the box, to challenge yourself, to be more creative, to speak more, to speak your mind. Um, but at the same point, all hope isn't lost. I mean, there's still a strategy for everybody to be successful on the platform, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, some that I've felt a lot from playing with Instagram is like exactly what you talked about, like about like the editing, like sometimes the pictures of the places that you take, like don't even look like the place anymore. Like mm-hmm. um, when we were in Bali recently, we went to the really famous rice patties there, the name of which I can never remember. 
Terra Laga, I don't know, I'm going to butcher it, but we went there, and I've seen a thousand pictures of this place, and we got there, and it was, I mean, absolutely stunning, but you're still like, this is not what it, you know, like, the colors are kind of, like, different, and, yeah. you know, it, 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 I feel like, and this is definitely a topic that we can do a, an entire, probably, like, podcast series on, on how Instagram has changed travel, um, mm-hmm. and just the expectations that it's created, and, and so on and so forth, but, um, you know, I got to say thank you so much for taking the time for or for being on the podcast. Um, before we wrap up here, what's what's uh, what's in the future for you guys for, for the company and stuff? Yeah, it's, it's another great question. So, um, you know, the recent success that we continue to have um, has prompted us to start to look for a home base. So mm. in the plans is definitely to um, purchase a home uh, that would work as an office photo studio, storage space, et cetera, um, which would give us a place to come back to yeah. uh, time after time, do better work, and also start to build out um, our team a bit bigger and maybe even get some local help um, from some of the university kids in whatever area we settle down in. So, Are you really planning on going this- back to the U.S. or staying somewhere abroad? I think home base would be in the in the U.S. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's like uh, it just makes more sense for so many reasons, especially like because we're we take photos of brands and products. So getting mm-hmm. those products abroad with all the custom issues and sure, you know, just dealing with picking up packages abroad is not fun, and also just constant movement is kind of starting to to be be painful. But we we've been gifted uh, with the ability to have a home base and still be traveling and running our business nomadically four or five months a year or whatever that may be. We don't know, but the goal right now is to put the business first for, for a bit until like you just said, I know we're in that transitional phase where, um, our team is growing and the capabilities of our team members is growing. And eventually I personally and Jackie personally will not have to be, so involved with the day-to-day aspects of every single client that we have and at that point then we can do some more uh trips and traveling and running the business remotely knowing that we have a home base knowing that we have a place to go back to knowing that we have a a home studio etc etc and upping the quality of our work so it's really we call it a level up phase like that's what we're calling it right now like as a a way to motivate us to want to do it because you know Deep down inside, we are, you know, free, crazy, nomadic people that just want to enjoy life. But at the same time, we also really love this business. Like, I don't know, after three full years of spending every day with this business and with our team and our clients, like, it's just become a part of our lives. And, like, there's no way we could put that business in jeopardy uh, to satisfy some personal uh, trips or things we want to do. So, the future for us is really just going to be about nurturing and growing our business so it can run a little bit more without us, giving it its own wings to kind of fly and um, giving ourselves a bit more work-life balance and looking at things more holistically and being more of the orchestrators of the direction of which our company runs rather than having to be so involved with the day-to-day process of operations and making every little thing go. Um, so that process will be... I'm sure stressful, rewarding, and uh, hopefully all of our visions will uh, come to fruition, which usually they do. So, I mean, that's really where we're at right now. 
Awesome, man. Well, I got to say thank you again for being on the show. I'm I'm super excited to have gotten to this interview with you and to have gotten to connect. And I'm super excited for you, man. It sounds like uh, you guys have some really cool things coming down the road. Now, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or even if maybe a company that wants to explore working with you guys, where can uh, people can get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can get you can contact us via Instagram, like I said before, at Work Smart Travel Hard, at the Wandering Wandering Co, and uh, at Jackie Cole Underdash. Message any of us there. We have a website, thewanderingsocialites.com. We're currently under undergoing a bit of a rebrand, uh, so things may be changing there. And also, um, you know, via email, all of our first names: Joe, Jackie, Aiden, at thewanderingsocialites.com. Uh, send us a note. We'd love to chat. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it having you on the show, brother. Thanks so much for having, for having us. I appreciate it.